Welcome to the Breakthrough Podcast. I'm J. Paul Frydenmaker, and I am amazed by all you folks who do fundraising, inviting generous people to resource causes all over the world. In the Breakthrough Podcast, we interview high net worth givers globally to listen and learn about how we as fundraisers can do our best work in inviting people to the party. Thank you for listening in. Bill Yo is our guest today. He, his wife Kelly, and family live outside of Philadelphia. Bill is the third generation owner and executive of Day and Zimmerman, his family's 43,000 employee, century old business specializing in construction and engineering, operations and maintenance, staffing, security, and defense for leading corporations and governments around the world. Their vision is to accelerate the next generation of innovation. Bill is also a lifelong writer and award-winning author, having published business and literary articles, blogs, and produced an award-winning feature film about human relationships. He has also authored two books, which we've highlighted in the show notes. You can see the links there. Our Way, his first book, received a gold award from the Nonfiction Writers Association. His second book, Unvarnished Faith, is about a mission trip to Nicaragua and the life lessons it yielded. Through this second work, Bill hopes to shed light on everyone's God-given birthright to dignity, no matter their creed, color, or community. Bill and Kelly have chosen to dedicate this episode to one of their favorite causes, the Laurel House in Philadelphia. And you'll hear more about this incredible organization in the interview to come. So this is a lot of fun. A new friend for Todd and I. Let's listen in as we talk with Bill. Todd DeKreiter, it is good to see you. I feel like it has been, man, I feel like it's been a year. Summers are always crazy to schedule. It's been a long time and we're counting down the days till my oldest heads off to college and it's uh, freaking me out, super emotional and I think I'm looking forward to it. I don't I'm not sure, but maybe. <laughs> oh my goodness. How far away are we? I know people are not necessarily listening the day we do this podcast, but how far away are you from taking him out to it's Taylor a week University, in a day. right? Yeah, he's Taylor. He's a just up the road for us about an hour away, but uh yeah, it's uh I, I've been off off and on weepy all summer. <laughs> so since I the last bet. time we talked, I basically cried through my Cheerios most days. Well, It's been a while since we've been able to come on and do one of these. We're excited today to have Bill Yo with us. So, Bill, welcome to the Breakthrough Podcast. Thank you, guys. It's my pleasure to be here. Glad to have you. And Bill, yeah, Bill is a new friend for both Todd and I, uh, introduced through one of our mutual friends. And so we've been looking forward to this, Bill. I've been reading up a little bit on the work you're doing and uh, all sorts of things. But just tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, where you live, what's keeping you busy these days. Sure, sure. No, thank you. And uh, my pleasure again to be here. Um, So I, uh, let's see, a lifelong Pennsylvanian and Philadelphian. Um, I went to school elsewhere and lived elsewhere briefly in in, uh, my young adulthood, but uh, born and raised uh, outside Philadelphia, and that's still mostly where we call home. We do also have a home in New Jersey, so our kids and many pets and we traipse back and forth, uh, particularly during the summer. 
Uh, I grew up the youngest of five and grew up mm -hmm. in a family business family. So I'm, I'm today a third generation owner of a, of a pretty large family business with my brothers. Uh, and then my wife, Kelly, and I uh, just celebrated uh, last couple of weeks ago tw our 26th uh, wedding anniversary. Oh, and, nice. Happy yeah, so, anniversary. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And um, we have three children. So our oldest, uh, who's a son, is uh, out of college and off working and uh, saving the business world. And then our, our middle child is our daughter. She, uh, speaking of Utah, just went back, or actually tomorrow is going back for her senior year at college. And then okay. our youngest is getting ready to start his senior year in high school. So Now, Bill, will any of them be fourth generation in your family business, or are they thinking about doing their own thing? Well, they, they, they will and already are fourth generation owners just through estate planning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to be determined if any of them uh, end up working in the business, um, we have a requirement that you have to you know, get a degree and work outside for two years regardless. So our, our, our oldest, you know, kind of doesn't have a choice, at least for another year. But we'll see. But, you know, we're raising them all, hopefully, to be, even if they don't become employees of the business, to be good stewards of the family business and, and have an understanding about, you know, we like to say, how do we keep the family sticky to the business and the business sticky to the family? So, um, you know, that's an ongoing process. Yeah, it's uh, rarefied air. Somewhere around 97% of family businesses don't make it to Gen 4. So you guys are right. on the cusp of, of getting right. to that top 3%, whether it's the yes. goal or not, that's to be determined, right? Right, but right, exactly. Rarefied air exactly. for sure. Yep, for sure, yeah. Yeah, let's jump into it. We're, our audience is talking through giving major donor development stories. Um, give us your experience on, on a, a story of giving. Where, where did the, the generosity bug come your way? When, when did that story start where you got a, a handle of, hey, I can do something with these resources for more than just me, more than just us. Where, where did that come about? Yeah, so uh, great question. And, and mine definitely came from my parents and the, the role modeling that I saw from them. Um, I had a, a chance a number of years ago to research and, and write and publish a book on my father. And one of the things that I really found compelling about it is as his business career took more and more hold, he realized he was so grateful for all the people and all the resources that had come to our, our business that he felt, all right, I need to be giving back. So he started out giving back to the Philadelphia business community, you know, different kind of trade associations and things we were in. And that sort of grew into larger community activities. In parallel, my mom, who was, you know, more of a traditional homemaker and, and raising the five children, uh, also started getting involved in local either educational or underserved youth or healthcare type uh, charities and, and organizations. And then the two of them ended up kind of coming together. They're, 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 they're both of their sort of zeal and this sense of responsibility, but also joy of, of giving back uh, came together. So it was something that we had, it had just always been around us. And it's just, it's how we're wired today. My, my brothers and I are all you know, charitably and philanthropically engaged in various different Love things, it. and not just yeah. with treasure, but with time and talent as well. And it's just part of who we are. Um, you know, my wife, Kelly, you know, brought to our, our marriage a very generous heart. Um, she was the first person I could honestly look at and say, oh, my goodness, that's what it means to feel better to give than to receive. That's mm -hmm. always just been a trademark, uh, a trademark of hers. And, uh, and then as we've sort of grown more and more into our lives and come into more and more um, resource, you know, it's just been a very natural evolution for us to then engage in that as a couple and, and more broadly as a family. Bill, do you remember how old you were when kind of the penny dropped that 
okay, things are different mm. with our family. You know, we're unique, that sort of thing. I remember Todd tells a story of when he was about 12 years old, when he realized, okay, wait, we have a lake house and not everybody has a lake mm-hmm. house. Like, what was that like for you? Tell, tell us. Yeah, no, it's a great thing because I, you know, when I have a chance to talk to uh, groups of people with, with wealth and with means, you know, I always kind of say like, you know, because people understand the kind of schools they go to, the cars their parents drive, not only the vacations they take, but the modes of transportation some take to get to those vacations, right? All those things kind of come up. So for me, um, you know, I, I think it had to do with this whole idea about we had this really large family business that my dad ran. And so my parents were very intentional about getting us involved in different things, whether it was working at the company or, or social events or holiday parties. Um, so we kind of just, we knew a lot of people at the business and every couple of years we'd do a retreat somewhere. And that was just a real recognition, you know, that, that, you know, we had a high rise, you know, we were part of a high rise building down in center city and a whole bunch of people all over the country. And, um, you know, that was kind of the indication that, yeah, there's a, there's a, a resource here and a size of, of what we are that is different than, you know, my friend who, whose dad was a lawyer or had a good, right. uh, you know, physician's practice or, you know, different yeah. things along those lines. So, no, that's, that's pretty true. And it does come down to some of those moments for sure. So, mm-hmm. um, you said Kelly has a generous heart and you saw that in her. Is, is that something that's continued then? Do you guys kind of work together in your giving or is it kind of his cause, her cause with you guys? How, how do you, you know, approach the giving piece? It, it's, it's a little bit of both, but it's, it's more together. Um, but I'd say we're kind of, we're, we've been in an evolution probably as a lot of families, and a lot of couples are. I think a lot of the early giving that we did uh, as, as kind of a unit was things having to do with you know, either our kids' schools or schools that we attended or things maybe that had been more legacy organizations and communities that my family had supported. Um, and then that has evolved as our kids have ended up at different schools and doing different things. But, you know, we're in an exciting time now because now we're being much more, I would say, in, intentional and, and much more doing our thing because it's our thing, not because, well, this is what the Yo family's always done sort of thing. Um, okay. And yeah. so we, we've really had a chance to think more, uh, to be more thoughtful about it and, and do some things that, you know, we've never done before. No one in my family's really ever done before, but, you know, we're, it, and, and blessedly in some cases seen like almost immediate impacts by what hmm. we've been able to do. Very yeah. cool. Okay. I'm going to cheat and do a two-parter. Sorry, Todd. <laughs> Ridiculous, Jay Paul. I know, I know. So, so Bill, was this new for Kelly? Like, when she came into your world, did she come from a wealthy family, or was this a new thing for her? And what was that like? Mm-hmm. Did it create any conflict or awkwardness in the beginning? And then, second part is, how do you involve your kids in your giving? Sure, sure. No, two great topics. And yeah, you know, I would say we came from different socioeconomic backgrounds, um, so. I would say the idea of giving and giving back was certainly by no means uh, new to her, but you know the idea of being able to do those kind of things with a little scale to it was was a different kind of purpose. Um, yeah. <laughs> th- there may have been sort of some learning curve type things as we went into that, but you know I think we both very strongly feel we, we both have a very strong faith life. Uh, you know the Bible tells us everyone to whom much is given of them much is expected. And so, you know, we are comfortable with that expectation that uh, we've been given a lot and, and that, you know, as we steward these assets through our, our journeys, you know, it's incumbent on us to, to deploy them in ways that help other people. 
And as I said, you know, we continue to sort of grow and evolve in that. And, and I'm really kind of excited based on some of the recent things we've done about how that intentionality, you know, should only increase moving forward. Um, and I'm glad you asked about the children, because, again, raising children in, in a family with with resource, with privilege is is, is a unique kind of thing. Right. And so I, I kind of talk about it in a, in a dual pronged approach on the one prong or the one hand. We really try to stress teaching our children the value of a dollar so that that's, you know, not making frivolous purchases, being very thoughtful about the kinds of things we're going to do, where we're going to spend our money, how we're going to spend our money. It, it's, it's not always a matter of what we can afford, but what's appropriate to buy and where's the value. And the strongest way we think to show the value of, of a dollar is, is by giving an example of hard work. Yeah. So, you know, Kelly is one of the hardest working people I know. I think I, I like, uh, you know, putting in my hard work as well. And so regardless of what we're doing, I think they see hard work. So that's on the one hand. But on the other hand, when it comes to that idea of, of knowing about wealth and, and responsibilities that come with that, I don't believe in the whole, like, keep them in the dark and, you know, don't expose them to that. I, I believe in very age appropriate ways, walking, walking that next generation into their situation. Um, and, and having them have this responsibility, look, this is just part of it. You know, like the, you, you probably are going to buy a house sooner than many of your friends. You probably are not going to have to worry about making the mortgage payment on that house at an age when, you know, a lot of your friends are probably still renting and, and that, that sort of differencing can cascade from, from there to, to myriad other examples. But when it comes to philanthropy and, and supporting others and, and, and those that are underserved, you know, these, I, talk, I use this word age appropriate. So an age appropriate way to do that, say, with somebody in high school wouldn't be, hey, we're going to start a, a, a donor advised fund. What do you think? You know, no. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. What we've really had conversations is when you think about going through your daily life, your weekly life, your social media, your friends, the different kind of things, where do you find your energy level increasing? Where do you find your engagement going up? Where do you find your frustration being higher? So it doesn't have to be just something that upsets you, it could be something that really makes you, you feel passionate in a positive way. And so we have those kind of conversations and, and that's kind of an appropriate place at the right age to just build that foundation of, hey, it's not a matter of if, but how and when and through what that we're going to be doing this. And, and the more we can walk into these things as a family, the more we can uh, you know, move together in, in perhaps a more meaningful way. And then the last thing I'll say too is with the older ones, you know, the development staff at, at whatever schools they are, some are public, some are private, are always really good about, you know, hey, just give a dollar and then next year give two dollars. Next year, just get them in okay. that habit. So we're definitely encouraging the kids as they become alums from different places to, you know what, just set up that automatic giving, set up that payroll deduction and just I'd rather you give five dollars a year for five years than give 25 bucks and then go away. So, yeah, no, that's true. So you mentioned two verses on, on the uh, giving side, the to whom much is given and then the uh, generous, the blessed to give then receive. Those are two different emotions and two different ways we relate to money. Wh which of those comes up more typical with you? Do you find yourself more on the blessed to give than receive excited joy side or the pressure, dang, there's something to this weight, gravity, much is given, much is expected side? You that's a really good question because I'd never kind of juxtaposed them like that. And I'm glad you used that word joy that I definitely want to come back to. 
but I would say it's more on the uh, what you may call that pressure or that I might I might call it more just an awareness than a pressure yeah. necessarily because yeah. I don't fair. I know I certainly have extended family members who see it as a pressure and a huge burden and, and some of those things and I respect their position on that. Um, I see it as as sort of this awesome responsibility, like awesome in the big, but also awesome Beauty. also in the cool sense. Yeah. Um, and it's just this is my lot in life, and this is what you know I and we are are. So that's kind of always there. It's just a matter of how present it is. But on the blessed to give to receive and, and that joy side, those are kind of like to, to stick with the, uh, the 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 spiritual milieu. Those are kind of those mountaintop moments of like, wow, this is awesome. Like we were able to do this and pull this together with this organization. Wow. And man, does it feel good to do that. And it's yeah. it's really cool, as you both know, not only to be the, the one experiencing that joy because you're the donor, it's also really cool to be on the other side and experience the joy of the donor because they're making the gift. You know, I've had times where we've made 100%. certain asks of certain yeah. families and their gift came in maybe below where we wanted, where, where the ask was, but their enthusiasm was so palpable, like for the gift that they made. And it was still by far the biggest gift they'd ever done anywhere. And they were so fired up about it. All my, yeah. dang, that fell short of expectations instantly faded away. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, That's cool. I love it. Now, what about with you and Kelly on the other side, like you've talked about the kind of the joy and the excitement and all that. What's one of the most confusing things to you guys about your giving? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, we, um, one of the things that we have to do a better job and are doing a better job of is kind of an overall, I guess I'd say maybe strategy towards things. Um, okay. You know, as, as I talked about earlier, we're sort of we're sort of wandering into some thematic things that matter for us and asking the kids in those age appropriate ways and that sort of thing. But but we also are involved in a number, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of different organizations that might be 25 bucks and 100 bucks and those kind of things here and there. Um, and then sometimes it gets a little more complicated because it's not huge, huge numbers, but it's big enough numbers. You start to ask, well, should this be a cash gift or a stock in kind gift? How do we want to go about that? And so just getting more intentionality about that and, and with the advisors and the partners that we have the chance to work with and through, right. um, I would say that's maybe a little mm-hmm. the confusion, the inefficiency, sure. some of those things. Because also, you know, I believe on, on both sides of the giving equation, you know, you, you, want, you want to participate in things and you want to receive donations from people who are really passionate about what you do. And what I found to be very helpful is when I can be very intentional with the world about the things that we are committed to, it also makes it easier to say no to the things that don't fit that, that mold or that model. Because okay. look, you know, we're yeah. really into giving, you know, to the colors red and orange. You're, you're, you're a blue. Like, I get that. I know you have really loyal, royal loyal, really loyal people who love blue. We just happen to be red and orange people, you know, kind of thing. So, um, you know, that's another aspect to be more intentional that we're continuing to work on. So... So you mentioned earlier kind of doing a uh, community type of giving or partnering with some other folks that were coming alongside you. Um, is that a, a regular occurrence where you're doing the community thing? Obviously, as a third gen, I know you've got kind of cousins and aunts and uncles mm-hmm. or parents that are maybe still involved on some of that. Is that just a family thing? Is that you're reaching out and you're doing community intentionally within the, the uh, affiliate or the national area? What, what does that look like for you as far as community yeah, outside no, of just the family? It, it, or is it just it kind of Right. It kind of varies a little bit. I mean, most of what we do is just Kelly and me. And then I would say kind of second is what we do with sort of a, a – 
and inform to our children about the things that we're doing. Again, our kids are 23, 21, 17. So, um, you know, adult-ish, but still not, you know, totally sort of not having kind of some of the sophistication around philanthropy. Um, But then you mentioned with the family business. So my brothers and I, both as a threesome, but also through the business, also support communities, you know, throughout, not just in Philadelphia. We do a lot of support in Philadelphia for educational and underserved youth. Um, but in other parts of our of our company and, and places we do business as well, because we're, we're all over the country and a little bit internationally. And um, so that's part of it. And then more recently, that community has kind of expended, extended more to kind of more of a friends and family thing. And it's been both through okay. leading or soliciting financial contributions, but also time and talent contributions. So um, the, the, the book that I had, uh, published earlier this year is fundamentally about a mission trip to Nicaragua and about food insecurity in Nicaragua, but food insecurity more broadly. So we, we had a chance mm. this spring to, to do an event with Phil Abundance, who's the largest food bank in the Philadelphia area. And so I solicited a whole bunch of people and we had 60 or 70 people give us a night of their time. And together we packed 12,000 breakfasts for, for kids who you know, otherwise wouldn't have eaten breakfast for yeah. those, those periods. And, and, and people also made contributions on top of that. So. Um, and another example I mentioned, you know, we just had our 26th anniversary. Well, last year for our 25th, we did a vow renewal and threw a little party. And we asked in the invitation, in lieu of gifts, you know, if you'd mm-hmm. like to honor this milestone, here's, here's a local charity that we'd love you to give to. And if not, if you consider giving a donation to the charity of your choice, you know, in our name, that would be the best gift you could give us. So, Now, that book you referred to, Unvarnished Faith, is that mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So you, um, what was your motivation in writing that? Talk, talk about Unvarnished Faith and, and maybe even a little bit about the book about your father. Sure. No, it, uh, so I, I had been a, a lifelong business person, um, you know, working at our family business and, you know, 25 years of, of, of that. And then um, actually it all changed. My mom died back in 2015 um, after mm-hmm. a, a relatively long illness and, and um as a result of that, as a result of her passing, it was a very sad moment, but it was also a time where uh, God sort of reached down and pushed me in the chest and literally physically pushed me in the wow. chest and, and said, you know, start, you, you got to start thinking about doing things differently. You're not living into the person who you, you should be. And hmm. so I ended up pulling back from a lot of my professional duties and business duties, research and writing, publishing the book on my father started doing some mission work, started doing some small group work, you know, really kind of committed to my faith. I went back to school and got another master's degree during the pandemic in, in ministry and theology and um, have come to this point now where, or then came to this point, excuse me, where I felt called to write a book on one of these mission trips. And um, so I ended up publishing that book earlier this year. It went right to a number one bestseller on Amazon, which we were super psyched about. But with Jermaine to the conversation we're having today, the book is called Unvarnished Faith, and it's fundamentally about love and relationships. And we know how much philanthropy is ultimately about relationships and about how do you relate right. to other people, whether they're a lot like you or nothing like you and different communities. And one of the tenets that I talk about in the book a lot is the idea of talents. And, you know, what are the unique talents and gifts that each one of us has and how are we called to deploy those talents and gifts to help others? Well, when you're talking about talents and gifts, it kind of leads right into time, talent and treasure and and some of the things around how philanthropically we can give our time and, and give our resources to help other people. So it's, it, it all kind of comes together in this sense of it's not just about, you know, how 
faith and love and relationships work together, but how the idea of time, talent, and treasure can also feed into that as well. And, and, and I end talking about gratitude. Todd, you mentioned joy earlier. When, when joy shows up in the philanthropy conversation, you, knew, you know you're on to something right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we'll, uh, you can grab that on Amazon, I think you said, and we'll put a link to that and to your father, the book about your father in the show notes. Great. Thanks, Jay Paul. Appreciate it. Bill, thinking through, I don't, we, we kind of towed around a little bit of this one, but um, was there ever a point where you realized you're kind of in demand for the causes where you got a little bit more attention from a, a donor rep or a president of something? <laughs> was there ever a moment where you're like, yeah, this is, this is different? Yes. You know, I don't know that I can remember the first time that that happened, but, um, you know, I know right now, for example, we're in a situation where we have not, there has not been an ask. There's not been any really numbers discussed, but we've already met with the, the head of the community, the head of the organization. And, you know, those, those meetings we know don't, aren't opened up, you know, kind of too, too, too commonly, yeah. whatever. So, um, <laughs> You know, there's already that kind of thing. And, and I think we're comfortable with it. And we've been doing these things long enough to know. And um, but what's what's really remarkable, we had a, a recent experience uh, within the last couple of years where we, again, got connected into that kind of executive or C-level of the organization. It was a, it was a university that we were dealing with. But just to be part of seeing how quickly things can move at the top of the organization when there's a real need. And mm-hmm. when the our ability to partner with them as thought partners and then ultimately to help resource things where there was a real community need and to see how quickly that all moved, like that was awesome. So, you know, to be able to kind of dwell at that sea level, if you will, to, to see that happening as opposed to you kind of give through some kind of a development officer and then it cycles through something and you may see something in an annual report next year in page 12, you know, kind of thing. It was a, It was a cool experience. Now, Bill, I know in talking to you a little bit, before the the podcast that you have you've been involved kind of on both sides of the fence you've obviously been approached and pitched for different deals and nonprofit causes but you've also done that so tell us a story and and you can change the names and faces of one that ah just didn't go particularly well oh boy well <laughs> if if the video were on, you might see me blushing right now. Um, okay. <laughs> that uh, uh, I um, yeah, I was do I was on the ask side, so I was on the board of an educational institution, and uh, the the head of the institution and I took a, a you know somebody who we perceived to be who had been a, a generous with the school, but we perceived had the opportunity to be really really generous, like make a sort of transformative gift. And um, I mean, so many things were done wrong. And, and needless to say, at the end of the day, the person that was kind of like, I can't even believe you're asking me this, like kind of thing, or how, how you know, ill-prepared are you? But it was, so the number was too big. The, the prospective donor was that the soil was in no way tilled. There was little real knowledge about what the donor would be most excited about. Um, and we made the ask in a relatively public place after a bottle of wine. Like just okay. so many different things. It, it just, I look back That's on that awesome. and think, oh my gosh, how yeah. amateurish were we? And to be making the size oh, of the ask that we were was just, yeah, it's, I, I have to laugh at it now, but. Well, yeah. I appreciate that, but let's break down the game film just a little bit. Sure. Because yeah. I, I think there's some important things there. The number one thing is don't drink a bottle of wine when you're doing it. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Right. Or, or right. bourbon or, uh, yeah. Just right. Or, anything. Yeah, yes. yeah. You can okay. do that afterwards depending on how things go, but yeah, yeah. not, not 
before and during, yeah. Maybe a Diet but Coke, I'll, water, or espresso, I think. A Diet Coke. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Little LaCroix. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll point out something, Todd. I think you probably have something to point out, but you said something, you know, we... The toy, the the toil. I don't know what toil is. Mm-hmm. I do know what soil is because that's what I meant to T- say. Tilling the soil. If I said toil, tilling the soil. Tilling the there, there we go. go. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You said that the soil had not been tilled, and which indicates to me that you. Well, let, let's just cut to the chase. You went to this person because you knew they had money, right? And that was the main reason. Right. But yeah, how would you have done that differently? Think about what would it have been like to till the soil properly? Well, I think that we would have, because, and again, and, and the other side of the example you just put out there is the person knew, okay, the board chair and the head of the organization are taking me to dinner. Like this is, this, there's, yeah. there's a there there on this. Um, I, I think the way that needs to look is when you have an effective development engine and, and, and advancement process and whatever your, your organization is, there are a lot of qualifying conversations. You might even get to the point of, you know, a trial close or two, but just to find out where, where is this person, where is their family, um, where else have they been doing things. Um, what made this one a little different was that we knew what we wanted to have them do would be unlike anything they'd done before. So, so the track record was, was helpful, but not totally informative. Because gotcha. we were we were hoping to see them do greater things than they'd ever done with us or anybody else, and and ultimately we we kind of got there. But um, so I think it's it's a lot more of understanding, sort of where where the donor is, where the prospect is, and you know where where their value and excitement could be. And then the other thing too, which which remember in this situation is this person had been making for a number of years an in kind donation, and okay. um, the details are probably less important, but. But when you get to these in-kind donations, the math gets a little fuzzy on right. how valuable those in-kind donations are. Because yes, yes, there is something to be said if you if you broke down what the cost avoidance of for us to do that. But if that if that donation weren't there, we wouldn't be spending that money on it anyway. You know, it was a right, unique yeah. thing that this person offered to the organization or to the community. So, you know, it got things got a little. Uh, you know, squirrely there as well. We're speaking French, he's speaking Spanish kind of thing to, you know, to use another analogy. So, so I like that the, the tilling the ground piece of it, but you also mentioned we didn't even know what aspect of it would cause them joy or make them happy or something to mm-hmm. that extent. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's some sample language that people have used with you to draw that out? Like you said, kind of, um, I forget the other phrase you just used, but a, a, a sample close or trial close or right. something trial like that. Trial close or something. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, I think, and, and this, by the way, has been, you know, one of the most important things that I've ever learned or observed when it comes to doing, you know, kind of these large scale philanthropic activities is, you know, somebody told me, in fact, it was just, I think, in this calendar year said, you know, they really, there's a major gifts officer at, a, at an organization said that I, I really try not to look at what I do as soliciting money and making asks and finding prospects and all that what I really try to do is I try to look at myself as a matchmaker and how do I present opportunities for people to contribute to things that they're going to feel flipping awesome about doing. And, <laughs> and when you make that connection, all of a sudden, any of the sort of, you know, car salesman kind of stuff, just it, it all just instantly washes away. But to get there, you have to do a lot of this preparation and a lot of this understanding about, you know, what are the things that excite you? What are the things that you get into? Um, Kelly and I, in, in an example I had referenced loosely earlier, 
we're talking with, with an organization. Uh, it was a, a college where one of our kids was attending. And, you know, they, they, the development officer had their kind of menu and their different things. And, you know, there's capital things and endowment things and people in program and buildings and all this and that. And, well, we brought up uh, something that we felt was timely and, and kind of critical. And, you know, the person's sort of face went blank. And this was during the pandemic, so it's all on Zoom. And she said, you know, that's not on our, that's not on our menu, but it darn well should be. And to the organization's credit, within two weeks, we're having this, like I talked about, this C-level conversation about this particular issue. And, and it, had, it had to do with mental health on college campuses and, and, and deaths by suicide yeah. and suicide ideation yeah. and, and all these things. And it had been being handled at a very, very low level. And to their credit, they instantly got, again, this was nothing novel we brought up. But once, they, once it hit their ears, they couldn't not put all the resources into it. Um, yeah. And so that that's where I wouldn't necessarily say joy because you're talking about mental health and suicide ideation, but that's where passion and meaning and importance came through. And the beauty of this is is that this school that that deployed these these programs that we were a, a part of helping, you know, has twenty some thousand uh, students. But other schools in the state heard about it. So within three months, this program was launched to about ninety thousand college kids across the state. Wow, that's cool. Um, and, you know, that was just you, you throw that little pebble into the pond and you never know what's going to happen with it. But so, you know, I don't, again, want to use the word joy, but but certainly a, a very warm feeling of, gosh, you know, maybe we made a difference. And of course, it's also one of those things where you, you'll likely never know, you know, in this case, maybe the lives that were saved. Sure. But that I'm totally cool with not having a metric, whether it was effective or not, because even if it was only one, it was worth it. So... Sacred gratification. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is, that's amazing. So I know another cause that you and Kelly feel flipping awesome about. Um, and this is the cause that we want to dedicate this podcast episode to. Tell us about the Laurel House. How did you guys get invited into that? And tell us what excites you about their vision and mission. Yeah, that's awesome, Jay Paul. Thanks for asking. So as I mentioned, you know, I'm from the Philadelphia area and the Philadelphia suburbs. And uh, Laurel House is a home for uh, women who are victims of domestic abuse and their children. Um, and it's it's located outside Philadelphia, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, been around for probably 40 some years uh, when Kelly moved to the area for college and then be beginning her career back in the, uh, I guess, in the late 80s and, and the 90s. She uh, started as a volunteer there, started, you know, giving a little money here and there and, and being involved. And, and over the years and the decades, her and our involvement has evolved and sort of ebbed and flowed. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's a great organization. It, it works not only with direct, you know, current victims of, of domestic abuse, but also not just physical abuse. It can be mental mm -hmm. abuse. It can be emotional right. abuse. It can be financial abuse. Um, you know, we, we, we know people who, you know, use their services for a number of different things that aren't just, you know, a, a physically abusive husband. Um, and when you get connected to what they do, and again, Kelly, far more connected to it than I, you realize sort of the, the practical, the practical intent behind this, even to the point where any different page on their website has a big banner at the top that says, click here to instantly exit this website with the thought that if your spouse comes into the room and looks over your shoulder when you're on your phone oh, or your wow. iPad or your computer, yeah, hey, what are you doing it. on there? 
great idea right kind of thing so but that gives you that i'm actually getting goosebumps just telling that story um it it just shows how committed and how like i said practical this organization is about what they do and then they also in addition they had they have a larger uh you know advocacy effort in terms of advancing social change and and working on things in terms of gender issues and and uh mental health issues and, and all the things that would be related to domestic abuse Okay, so we're going to break from our interview here for a second because I have a very special guest from the Laurel House, Brad Smith, who is their Director of Development. Welcome, Brad. Hey, Jay Paul. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate this opportunity. Well, Todd and I just got goosebumps listening to Bill talk about the Laurel House, and so I'm excited for you on behalf of your team and the people you serve. Share with us a little bit about the the vision and mission of the Laurel House. Yeah, it, great. I mean, really, our vision is dedicated to ending domestic violence in each mm-hmm. life, home, and community. Uh, and we work, you know, specifically in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, so a suburb of the Philadelphia region. And uh, that's our goal: is is really empowerment. Uh, and ending domestic abuse, which mm-hmm. of course is a, a huge goal, a right. huge mission. But if we can empower people, educate people, uh, you know, starting in the you know, school age to beyond, that's that's really our goal. Now, uh, you provide a safe place for victims. Is that right? Uh, Obviously, uh, we don't need to know details, but yeah. Absolutely. So we were first founded as a shelter back in 1980. Mm-hmm. and became an official organization in 1981. Uh, so yes, we still have what we call our safe haven center. Okay. Uh, 12 rooms that can, you know, house people who uh, obviously are in an unsafe situation. Yeah. But beyond that, uh, you know, we do offer counseling services. Uh, we do a lot of uh, community education where we talk about healthy relationships with both high school students and uh, college students. Uh, working with a lot of the local colleges here in Montgomery County. But uh, I mean, there's many things I'm proud of here, but the, the Safe Haven Center is definitely one of those. And we opened up our new facility uh, a year ago this past June. So really excited about that, that we're able to serve more people. Unfortunately, I mean, there's we yeah. our services are needed, but we're able to serve more people because of it. Yeah, I was going to say, in a sense, your vision is that you don't have to do that. Correct. Absolutely. Right. right. Make me put me out of a job. Okay. We will. We are going to work to put Brad out of a job. So, Brad, is there are there success stories? I mean, that sounds trite to use that word, but like stories where families have actually been able to successfully come back together or is it just kind of this hopeless situation? No, it, it never hopeless and, and yeah. everybody's different. And, and that's why I, I think our counselors and our advocates, everyone comes up with their own individual plan. But, you know, let's just take this is a, actually an exciting story. Uh, yeah. At least I think it is. And I'm not going to do it justice here. OK, uh, we had a woman come in probably about a month ago into our office. She was joining her sister. And her sister works at a local, I believe is a chiropractic organization. And they ran some raffles and the proceeds came to our organization. But the reason they did it, her sister was someone who went through our whole program and, and meaning, you know, she was someone who spent time in our shelter, mm-hmm. uh, then someone who went to our transitional housing program, 
and then someone who was able to buy her own house. Mm. So it's just like a, a full circle story of all the services wow. we provide in one, Beautiful. Uh, you know, by one person. Uh, yeah. But but to your point, I mean, not everyone is, everyone I would hope is a success story. Absolutely. But it, yes. it doesn't always right. work out that way. Now, Brad, we would love to direct people to the Laurel House. So for those listening, of course, there's a link to their website in yep. in the show notes and it's it's beautiful does a great job of sharing about their work but brad is there any particular thing um going on right now a campaign mm. or you know a certain uh thing that you're inviting people to be involved in because we'd love to tell them about that as well uh, absolutely i mean there's many things obviously but the one yeah. that sticks out i just talked about housing so okay we have some <clears throat> transitional housing uh available in the North Wales area of Montgomery County. Okay. And in there, we are now taking those five units of transitional housing and turning them into six. Oh, so we great. are inviting people, obviously, to, to donate for that cause, as, as well as many others. But it'll be yeah. exciting for us to be able to provide housing is an issue, probably in every county across the country. Yeah. But it is here, affordable housing. So if someone does come to our shelter, uh-huh. we want to be you know, be able to provide, if they're not able to go back home, provide an opportunity to come into some transitional housing where they can stay with us right? with some rent assistance mm-hmm. and, you know, then move on. So I, like I said, we're, it's an old building. We're upgrading, taking five units, going to turn it into six, make it ADA compliant, which is very okay. exciting. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. You know, as well. So we can serve just more people. So uh, very excited about that project. Because uh, it will offer again, we'll we'll be able to provide more to uh, the people who need it. And how much are you raising for that, Brad? And and then is there a, a place that people can go to to read more specifics about that? Not yet. We're really okay. on the early stages of that. Still seeking support. We have, yeah. uh, you know, so there's nothing specific yet about sure. that. But it is kind of a new deal. Of, you bet. It's a new deal for us. But it is just one of those things. If you do give to our general operating. Okay. Uh, yeah. It does it does help out all our programs, but also the transitional housing as well. I love it. Yep. Well, Brad, thank you again. Thanks to you and everybody at the Laurel House. We hold in our hearts and, and minds all of the people that are being served that are coming in for help in these tough issues. Thank you for joining us. Yep. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Back to our interview with Bill Yo. All right, so Bill, final question, I think from my end anyway, but um, let's just imagine a second you've got a, sitting in front of you as a development rep, um, they're maybe second career, maybe they're new to the game, so newer in this space, and you've got one or two things to give them to say, always, never, you've got to, this is what you should do. What's <laughs> the top tips. one or two pro tips you have for that major donor rep, especially the newer one? Sure, no, that's great. As I would, I would uh, you know, say... Uh, in, in hopefully a respectful way, you have you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. So li- <laughs> listen a lot more than you talk. Um, get very good at asking open-ended questions um, in that regard. But but also, I mean, you know, do, do your do your homework. Um, you know, know coming in as much as you can. You know, for better and for worse, the internet is quite a, 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 a an information-packed 
resource for, for folks who do those kind of things. And, and just be respectful of time as well. You know, kind of, I think you really have to have a real sense of reading That's the good. room and reading whom you're talking about. Um, but yeah, it's, it's don't, don't come in with your agenda and a 12 point slide that you're going to assist on going through one to 12 and all those kinds of things and just make it about, make it about the donor. Absolutely. Love it. Bill, that is fantastic. Um, we have loved having you. Thank you for joining us. Sure. Today. This has been a lot of, it's been a lot of fun and it's a really important thing. And as we said, you know, yeah. Todd started with the, the concept of joy and philanthropy done right really is about joy. hundred yes. percent. Mm-hmm. And I want to remind everyone to check out the show notes because you'll have a chance to look at Bill's books and most importantly, have a chance to check out the Laurel House. What an incredible, uh, I got goosebumps too when Bill, when you were sharing about that. Mm-hmm. And so we want to bless the socks off of those guys in this process. Thanks so much, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, guys. Thanks for everything you do. Take care. You bet. Thanks. Well, Todd, let's break down the game film. That was a great conversation with Bill Yo. There were several little one or two sentences like, ooh, dang, that's good, right? I know. The till in the soil and relationship, key to do. Trial close, love that idea. Me too. I want to come back to that. Put a pin in it. Press um, but then just the, I love the intentionality of the family. I love his, we're raising the kids up to do this together with us. We're not going to be hidden from it. At the same time, how do we teach them hard work? Anyway, neat, neat family for sure. But uh, lots of good Absolutely. nuggets in there for sure. Lots of good nuggets. Yeah. And he's just kind of has this self-deprecating posture. You know, you don't, well, I, I, I don't I, smell Arrogance I, and ego, yeah. No, I, I'm like, hey, give us an awkward ask. Well, I did one, right? I'm yeah. Like, oh, who's that? I'm like, yeah, you did. I know. Let's go there, That man. is so perfect. But but right before that, he talked about the ask at the university where they got to do the mental health yeah. programs. Yeah. And I think we didn't ask him to drill down into that, but that that was a situation, first of all, where they were they co-owned. They actually did the ask. Mm-hmm. which I love. I often tell people I train, the best ask in major donor fundraising is when the donor asks. <laughs> yeah, for real. But but you could tell how excited um, they were about that. And as he said, he didn't like to use the word joy, but kind of this sacred gratification with what got to be built. Yeah. And that was, a, that was an ask or an invitation where they felt blessed. Yeah. Totally, for sure. Um, back to that trial close piece. Yes, let's um, do it. I, I love that idea of just, you know, hey, are we in the right ballpark? You know, are we are we close to the, the conversation? Is that a topic that excites you? Just conversations where you're just going, dude, uh, you know, like if, if, it, if, if dating is the analogy, right? You don't yeah. go from, hi, how are you, to let's have kids and grow old together, right? That's just awkward. Exactly. That's right. That's so right. So how yeah. do we go from what's the next date? How you know, can we go out? You know, are, are we consistent? You know, where where do we you land bet. in the top gifts for you guys? Like are are we in the top two or three or four? Are are we you know just awkward potential weird ones? But you got to check in. Where do you fit? Where do you fall? Does this give gotta you joy? Check what in. about what yes. we do gives you excitement? Wh- which aspect of our ministry is the reason why you're giving? Right? Check in questions. Beautiful. He used two phrases there that I think are linked, qualifying conversations and trial closes. So the first thing I'd say is there's an S on the end of both of those. Yes. It's not just one qualifying conversation. It's not just one trial close. It could be multiple. 
Yeah. It could be a lot. And one of my favorite trial closes is permission. Yeah. Hey, Todd, could I could I have permission to uh, think about some ideas to propose to you to potentially get involved with us? Love that. You know, yeah. And so there's this, there's this, that's, that's a form of a trial close. And I ask that question all the time and people will say, of course, you know, no guarantees, but yeah, I, I'm fine. But, but even too, though but... how they respond, if they go, oh, of course you can, we trust you, we like you, whatever, no guarantees, they're backing off yeah. from it. Oh, absolutely, right. Jay Paul. We'd love to get involved. Tell us, you know, how can we do it? Different. That's right. You can, learn something from that. Yeah. It, it's, it's getting your data points. His, his, his point about listening, too. So give us that, uh, give language around a qualifier, right? So That's right. It, what, would that, what, what would be good language, in your opinion, if somebody comes and goes, hey, we're looking through this project. Let's just say we got a capital campaign we're in the midst of. It's a $5 million project. Um, we're not sure at this point. We think they're capable of maybe a, a six or $700,000 gift, a $500,000 gift, or are we asking for 50, right? Those are very different approaches, very different ways you go about it. How would you qualify to know, hey, am I in the right ballpark? What, what would you say? Okay, so the first thing I typically do is talk with people that are connected with them to learn about their giving and their proclivity. So yes, I will want to ask qualifying questions directly to them, but I like to come in a little bit informed. So so a qualifying question after I've talked, so Todd, you're the connector, I'm yep. connecting with your high yep. net worth friend, and you've given me a little bit of insider baseball, a little bit of insight to their giving. So I go into the conversation a little more prepared. So then I come in and I say, okay, Joe, we, when it comes time, you know, to talk about it, I'll say, Joe, I know you and your wife have given to these kinds of projects before. I think we have something similar. What would you think about talking more about involvement in a project like that? But you're not getting to dollar amounts. You're not saying talking turkey early. Yeah. Not quite because here's the reason why they know the size. They know what I'm talking about in terms of that other project and they know the size of that project. So there's really no need for me to double down on a dollar figure in that, I think, in right. that particular. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. So if you're talking through a $100,000 range and you're saying, hey, three previous projects they know. So you're kind of having the money conversation without specifically poking it in the eye. Precisely. That's right. I, I love that. That's right. And the other yeah. piece, too, is you're also honoring them by doing some of the homework. One of the other things that Bill yeah. mentioned. That's good. Well, Todd, this was a good one. Fantastic. Yeah, this was a good one. We got I got some some new learnings in that. I'm sure folks that are listening, you did as well. And we've got some good interviews in the pipeline, buddy. Yeah, we do. I some just got an email today from a guy. I'm like, oh, I love this guy. It was just happy. It made me okay. smile seeing his name in my That's inbox. Great. We won't mention his name yet. Or okay. Should we? I don't know. Should we? Right. I don't. <laughs> well, no. Let's let's keep a let's keep a on the well, toes. We, we That's right. Got to make sure we actually get the interview first. Because that's if we a good go point. And anyway, there there is a point though where we were just missing the reason why we haven't done one in a while is we just we neither oh, Jay Paul or Todd are good at scheduling. And I'm like, that's hey, right. Jay Paul, would this be helpful? Can I have somebody else help us in scheduling? All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Peace out. Thanks, Todd. Bye. The Breakthrough Podcast is produced by myself, J. Paul Frydenmaker. Thanks to Todd DeKreider for co-hosting with me and special thanks to Bill Yo for joining us today. 
We are excited to dedicate this episode to the Laurel House. Check out the links in the show notes, including where to find Bill's most recent book, Unvarnished Faith. Todd and I also want to give a shout out to Lizzie Morales for helping us with booking and scheduling. You're a rock star, Lizzie. And may you all break through to radical generosity in your efforts to invite people to join your cause.